Hi, this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK Show. On the Relax Back UK Show, we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on this week's Relax Back UK show. The topic this week is all about work-life balance, keeping yourself in good shape, and also looking after your staff, your team, making sure that uh, they have good health and well-being. And the company I've set up, we've actually got stoked as one of our company values, believe it or not. So we actually encourage the people that work for us to actually go and seek it out, because we know it's going to improve their mental health, their productivity, how they feel about working with us, you know. My guest is Richie Jones, who set up the company Vest. So please do stay tuned to hear about his approach and what he means by being stoked. Um, but before we get going, there's a couple of items of news, really, that I'm very keen to tell you about. UK Health Radio is now available as a, a podcast. All the different presenters and their shows are available as separate um, podcasts, and you can hear those on all the regular podcast channels the presenters cover a huge range of topics um, topics as diverse as men's health women's health mental health sports and fitness spiritual health and many others you will be able to find something that is useful interesting and relevant to you so please do have a look there once you've listened to this show of course that is if you're listening to a podcast version of the relax back uk show please do the like and share thing like you do with a podcast that you enjoy. You can also see a video version on my Relax Back UK YouTube channel. Now the video version might be useful for this next bit, this next thing that I want to show you. I want to show you the chair that I'm sitting on. Now let me just pick it up here. It's a, re it's a, a back app chair. It's a saddle chair and you can see this saddle seat nice and squishy so it's very comfy and it keeps you sitting in a nice posture. But that's not even the best bit. Let me just use, move the mic a bit here. The best bit is that the chair constantly moves so you don't seize up. I'll show you how. At the bottom, there's this ball which you can move in and out a little bit. And if you, the more you move it out, if you move it out, the chair wobbles a bit more. Now it doesn't wobble so crazily that you can't concentrate on what you're doing, but it wobbles enough to keep you moving so that you don't seize up. It really is a wonderful thing. I think everyone's experienced that feeling of sitting completely still for a long time at your desk and then getting up and just, oh, you're stiff. That goes away. And because you're moving, the muscles you use to balance get a very gentle but constant workout. And uh, those are the muscles that support your spine. So keeping those strong is a very good thing. Now, my guest, on to my guest. My guest is uh, Richie Jones from Vest. And actually, I spoke to him a couple of months ago, just after Christmas. He is a very interesting guy, has an awful lot of energy, and he has uh, started a company called Vest. So he talks about his work-life balance, how he tries to look after the work-life balance of his staff and keep everyone healthy and happy. Uh, when I'd spoken to him, he'd just taken some time off uh, and he'd been doing some crazy things as far as I was concerned uh, during his time off. So I asked him what he'd been up to for the last week. I guess at this, at this time of year, you know, when you've got the Christmas slowdown, it's the only time of year when my emails and inbound actually slows down. So 
I've always said, take that first week off in January. So, cause whenever I've gone in, there's not been much going on. So I did it and um, spent a lot of time with my, my young family. But once they went back to school, I went off mountain biking and did a lot of surfing and didn't look at my emails or my Slack, which is absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. It's a good so chance long, to take the time out. How long did you manage to not look at that stuff? I did. I did. It's a bit of a record. I think I was actually offline from email for, for nearly six days, which is a long time. I mean, the business is just coming up to six years old. Uh, and that's probably one of the longest switch offs, complete switch offs I've had, which is when you actually put it in that context, that's quite, quite terrifying when I think about it. All right. So you, you were surfing and, and biking. So was that in this? Where was that in the UK? Yeah, I was in the UK. I was uh, uh, mountain biking in Wales. Uh, where I'm based in Bristol, we're very close to South Wales, and there's some really um, world-class mountain biking actually over in South Wales. So I was doing that, and then um, taking advantage here in Bristol, we've got one of the first commercial wave pools where you can actually surf. Um, and it's called the Wave, and uh, I go there once a week. But it, when I'm off work, I can go even more, and it's an absolutely incredible place. Okay, so is that outside? It sounds cold. Yes. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's really cold. I mean, the, the wetsuit technology now, uh, it, it's its not actually cold when you're in there. I think the worst bit, to be honest, is actually getting out of your wetsuit after a session. That's when, it, that's when you really feel uh, how chilly it is. Right. So uh, apart from obviously you like surfing and, you know, I get that because I've, I've seen clips of videos of people doing that and thought, oh, God, I wish I could do that. So apart from that, actually been fun. Do you get a positive is the cold water thing a positive for you because this cold water swimming has just taken off uh big time yeah no I, I think yeah i mean i've been surfing now for yeah i mean 30 years which is quite incredible really and i, I think uh there's something about being in the water um and the, the sound of it and just just especially once you become reasonably competent at it um in the ocean especially because the wave pool for me is a, a bit like a spin class for me, the real the real moment is to actually get in the ocean and you get this complete um, feeling of being disconnected. Uh, you get a reminder of the context of how small we are, because often once once you've left your the, the, yeah, the beach and your your feet are no longer touching the sand or the rock, you're, you're then beholden to what what your knowledge is to be able to kind of stay safe in the ocean. And it's an amazing feeling like the cold water side to it um, is definitely it's like a tonic. And I think when you get out, uh, you, you just feel uh, on top of the world and I think I mean it's interesting to, co to contrast it with mountain biking where it's that's very endorphin focused as well but I think surfing activated by that cold water effect as well is just it's just next level you feel absolutely incredible you actually grin and, and, I, and I find when I go back to my job I'm, I'm better at it you know because people can tell there's lots of lots of people talk about stoke um in, in surfing and uh this concept of stoke is is, is literally where you've, you've got this feeling of endorphins and feeling absolutely energized from, from the activity you've oh, been doing all right i haven't heard that so you've returned to work and you're fully stoked now you got it exactly yeah yeah and the company i've set up we've actually got stoked as one of our company values believe it or not so we actually encourage the people that work for us to actually go and seek it out because we know it's going to improve their mental health their productivity how they feel about working with us you know okay that's interesting i like, I like that idea all right so before before we spoke uh, I did a little bit of research, a little bit of digging, all right? And I, I came across this this sort of one-page resume of uh, Richie Jones. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm going to quote a little bit, all right? So, Richie has experienced both client-side and agency life across multiple sectors, having spent the majority of his career to date being just in front of the curve. 
Vast has allowed Richie to blend his client experience and brand expertise to deliver an innovative, sorry, an innovative, low-impact entry to market for brands, but critically plugging plugging them into a re relentless R&D roadmap based on shared learning. So I read that, and I'm afraid I was none the wiser into what you actually do. So the <laughs> first question's got to be, you know, what do you do business-wise, and can you uh, translate that? Yeah, no, sure. So, I mean, it actually does have a bit of a relevance to the conversation we just had there around um, being stoked. So um, my journey has been one of, as, as, that, as that little quote mentions, one of being, of working in two, two, almost two sides of, of, of the kind of agency land and, and brand side of things. So to explain what I do now, so I, I uh, run Vast, which is a business that brings brands primarily from West Coast US or mainland US uh, into the European market. We also increasingly are starting to bring brands um, it, from mainland Europe as well. And what we've done to explain that, we've set up uh, a team and a platform infrastructure that enables brands to be able to trade in these territories um, and, and, you know, without having to set up a local team. So it's actually very cost effective for them to be able to um, export their product from, say, say, the US into Europe. And then we can basically trade that. And the crucial thing is we're not a distributor or a middleman. We actually have a direct relationship with the consumer buying. So you as a consumer, you know, you might find um, increasing you're, you're starting to buy things directly from the brand that you buy from, that, you, you, that you're into, um, as opposed to buying from a normal retailer where you might find that same brand. So um, I'm not sure what sports you're into, Mike, but it, it, it's, you know, example would be um, if you take one of our brands, uh, Yeti, um, Yeti, uh, they, they sort of sell sort of kind of like drink bottles like this and also coolers, that kind of thing. When a consumer buys from the Yeti Europe website, that's actually us running that site. And okay. um, that's really, and, and the consumer's none the wiser, it's a, but it's a really um, cost-effective way for the brands to basically uh, achieve like low capital entry into what is quite a tricky market to set up in because of things like Brexit, um, all of our privacy uh, legislation, all those kind of things, it's actually quite a, a bit of a minefield for companies to set up in territory without local knowledge and we solve all of those issues so it's a little bit more than just setting up a website for people to peddle their wares on you take care of the you've got of legal stuff the importing the exporting all this kind of stuff which, yeah so i'm my my business i i import ergonomic furniture from sweden oh okay uh, i i've just been dealing with uh, hmrc and um you know it appears their objective is to put small businesses like me out of business i have to say so <laughs> That, they don't make it easy this yeah chat, maybe i'll giving you an, i'll be giving you another call <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> please do i mean but, but on that i mean it actually links into this this whole comments around the, the kind of surfing side of things because what's actually happened to me is i've ended up we now we're so lucky that we, we work with a portfolio of brands that i actually genuinely and passionately believe in their brand mission because it is very much aligned about outdoors sustainability so we, we're going for our b corp this year um, as a business, so we're able to pass on the sort of sustainable and, and ethical ways of trading um, to, you're going to our brands. B Corp. Uh, B Corp, yeah, which is a certification. Is. Yes, it's a, it's a certification level that you can get for your business that demonstrates you have a, a certain level of um, uh, compliance that you're doing from a sustainability uh, point of view. So simple things like making sure you're not putting uh, your back, you know, when you're sending out a package to a consumer, you're, you're avoiding things like single-use plastic or you're in terms of like shipping miles you're not sending things the other side of the world only to send them back again that's one of the things we help with our brands with 
Um, but then crucially, uh, ensuring that the people that work for us are being treated in a fair and ethical way. And we're doing all those kind of things. We're really leaning in. I mean, we spend many millions with the likes of Facebook, um, Instagram, uh, Meta, all those kind of people. So we, we, we have a whole ethical advertising policy as well that we, we're implementing as well. So it's, it's really enabling these partner brands that we work with to have a an ethical kind of stance um, and how they operate. And that really resonates with me as an individual because it means that suddenly we've got purpose as opposed to just profit. Sure. And that's, okay, no, that's, I get it. that's really good. I, I'm sure later on in the chat, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about some of the details, but let me ask yeah. you a sort of a, a slightly bigger question. Uh, again, I kind of sometimes specialise in the unfair question, <laughs> Richie. So <laughs> apologies in advance for this question, but so you you help people essentially sell their wares online, you know, uh, uh, you know, away from shops, away from the high street. So the, the big question really is 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 having everything online is that uh, good for business? Is it good for life in general? Yeah, no, it's a good good question. I think in the in the age of um, I think at the height of the pandemic, there were lots of question marks around viability of high street and what it was what was the high street actually, what was it going to be, what was it for, you know, um, yeah. in the future. And I think for us coming back, what we succeed with our brands, that our, our mission is not to um, shut off a brand's kind of wholesale or retail channel. It's very much um, to co complement it. And I think the most important, so this is the omni-channel kind of retail play. And I think the most important thing for us is that we work uh, in partnership with their existing retailers. We can help a brand identify where a retail retailer might be behaving in a way that is actually damaging for the brand as well. So we can identify some of those retailers where they might be going into discount unnecessarily, like way too early in the season, which is great for the initial kind of top line sale. But in terms of like driving long-term brand success, no one wins when you're in discount. And crucially, that ties back to the sustainability point as well, where the consumer is most at risk of buying a product they don't need when it's in discount. Because they just the, see that kind of- classic race to the bottom scenario. No exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and, and, and that impulsive nature of e-commerce, because we're using quite strong, um, uh, yeah, kind of like almost philosophical tactics to get people to to buy. It's, it's important that we um, are behaving in a responsible way to make sure they're not buying something they didn't actually need. So to your question, I mean, to your point, we see it working as a kind of omni-channel play. And I think increasingly, I think you'll see retailers creating almost um, cathedral-like spaces, you know, to really show their product off in, a, in an, an, an amazing way, in a way that you just can't get that feeling when you're shopping online. And I think the combination of bricks and mortar actually touching and feeling a product along with um, getting that consumer to ideally repeat on the online channel um, is, is the kind of future. I don't think it's going to be just online. That's the key. No. All right. Well, certainly um, I quite enjoy going to my local high street. Um, yeah. I suppose I'm a bit different because actually there's a local market there as well. So most weeks yeah. I go to the market and actually I quite often say uh, to my wife, you know, if I go to the market and I don't meet someone I know, I feel a bit disappointed, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I, I suppose at heart, I am a bit of an old gossip, but I do actually enjoy going <laughs> to the market and meeting people that I, I know. So I, I think the high yeah. street still very much has a place, but it's definitely changing. So in, yeah. in the world of, well, not just retail, this might be slight, slightly outside of your expertise, but I'll ask it anyway. You know, what what is the future 
of 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 the high street you, you mentioned these sort of cathedral like um warehouses that really show off uh products but you know what else could happen to tempt us I, to these places yeah i think i think i mean it's, it's really interesting you, you referenced the community and the social element to it and i think that's what's happening more and more is that people um and the way that um you know uh, sort of the kind of um standard local um shopping is definitely panning out is there's it sounds very contrived but i think people are seeking out more experiential experiences anyway so i think it's the onus in some senses is on the brand to create these places for community to meet especially so some of the brands we work with and there's some great examples out there as well where they will hold events in their in their stores um you know and if you if you, again, if you just you know, reference, say, someone like Yeti, for example, in their US stores that they run, which they're going to be rolling out in Europe as well, um, they have music on in those stores, like live music. But then they also have, um, you know, a key uh, professional snowboarder might come in and talk about what it was like to compete in the Olympics. And all of, on all of those kind of things are being put on by the brand. There's, you know, there's, there's beer there, there's you know, nice food and that kind of stuff. So I think the onus, the future is going to be on, on from a, you know, brand experiential point of view will be to create these moments where the customer will really buy into it. So, um, and want to experience this brand extension. So it's not just you buying stuff from the brand, it's yeah. you actually experiencing what they're bringing to life. That's the key thing. Fantastic. So do you actually help these people, your, your customers create these experiences as well? Yeah, we, we will make recommendations. So pre pandemic, we actually, we were running three stores for one of our brands and we supported them in terms of, yeah, identical because they, they have, one of the biggest activations of these brands often is their, their kind of ambassador sponsorship of, of, of pro riders of some form. Mm -hmm. So we will identify where there's opportunities to then bring that to life as an actual experience. And it might be things as simple as yoga, for example. You know, some of our brands, they do that kind of thing as well. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's those moments where you can activate is what they call it, is the, is the kind of marketing term for it, is activate the brand in a way that's going to then resonate with the consumer. And it's not just them buying stuff. It's a, look, check this out. This is a real... A real chance to kind of come in and, and hang out with us you know it's really exciting that does sound interesting because actually when you said oh i don't know what sports you're you're into yoga is something that i do actually i and, Brilliant. You know, i like doing that most weeks so if there was something like that near me you know i'm i might be tempted to um go yeah, and check just, it out just yeah, pop along and, and, it, and it, you don't have to buy anything it's all just about you being there and experiencing you know in a nice environment for sure yeah yeah okay Inter interesting now so, something else in, in the sort of a, a slightly different topic in the same environment. You touched on it earlier. Are the, the change in habits of, of everybody and the way retail might change, um, is, is that good for the environment? Yeah, I think um, that's a good question. Right. So, well, what we what we're creating as part of our B Corp mission is so if you imagine we actually hold a huge amount of consumer information, um, assuming the consumers opted in because you have to tick the opt in box for us to hold that information. Um, one of the things that we're exploring is starting to surface to a consumer um, what their buying habits have actually been. And actually, and this sounds really counter to um, the concept of, of growing revenue. We're, we're, we're suggesting increasingly that could, could you actually suggest to a consumer like do you actually really need this product you bought one that was similar six months ago and it's a bit like what patagonia did with their jacket campaign about two years ago their, their famous advert they did that said do you really need this jacket and it's brilliant 
you know, and it's that sort of question of like, do you, you know, there's, we're, we're, we're kind of almost conditioned as we've, as we've all gone through, you know, especially this, you know, recent times of, of exponential growth for the economy to just keep buying stuff. And I think what we're interested in is, is using data and going, actually saying to, you know, and perhaps changing the user experience for a customer if they, if we know they've actually bought something already, so they don't, they don't need to buy the same thing again. The exception to that would be gifting. That's where it causes a bit more of a challenge because if you're not buying for yourself, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, you're kind of more than likely to be able to you know, justify buying that product. So I think some of these things about where we, because everybody's on this journey, we're all in this different, we know the climate emergency is something we need to address. Everybody's um, considering whether they need to do long haul travel for their family holiday. Can they, can they justify it doing it once a decade as opposed to doing it once a year, for example? We're all on this journey about deciding how much we need to pull back on our kind of spending and consumer habits. And I think in a way, some of it, the owners can be put on a brand to not expose um, the consumer to as many sales opportunities. But I think at the same time, it's a bit like how our economy in general has to switch out from fossil fuels in general. I think we're all in this journey about how quickly we need to change our habits. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, so that answers your question is that I think the brands that are engaging it and being more responsible, so not the fast fashion brands, for example, are the ones that I think will demonstrate that they're being more environmentally conscious. I think that's the key thing. Yeah, that's interesting because I have to say I've been getting more and more worried, stroke alarmed by this this, this idea. If you you know Google, I don't know, for a camping holiday, magically uh, an advert for a tent appears. Um, yeah, that's right. You know, and uh, all this information well that's an, another story you know the, the yeah. oh goodness who knows what about me and what i'm planning let's, let's take that to one side but this idea yeah. of these these potential these adverts popping up that are trying to getting us to buy stuff this, and using ai um worries me per se but this idea of do you really need that coat do you need that extra pair of shoes i that hasn't i i've, no, I've never noticed that is that um so if I've had my eyes shut or is because it's not. No, happening no, so it's, yet. no it's, it's not. I don't think it's happening much at the moment, but it's something that we're looking to um, to roll out. So and, it, and we, we we always have to have our brands kind of buying on that. So what happens, um, you, you'll, you'll see with you'll probably see B Corp in the logo. It's like a B with a circle around it. You'll see it now. You know it. You'll see it popping up more and more. It's one of those things, you know, yeah. um, and it, it's a bit like, you know, this, a song once you hear it and so on. But I think the we we. So it's something that we want to experiment with basically with our brands and it's the same with our ethical advertising policy as well is that even if in year one we only get our brands to agree to say five percent of their marketing spend to go through what we call our ethical um advertising policy that will in theory reduce the number of times those adverts that you're describing potentially will be going in front of someone who perhaps doesn't need that product so what you'll find is because what you know everybody the, the kind of popular culture perception of um, people's phone is listening to, to, to them as a sort of feeling. What is actually happening is it's advanced AI is understanding the buying habits and how you're behaving is akin to someone who's bought previously that then goes on to buy. And that's, that's actually what's happening. And what we um, are, are kind of going to be experimenting with our brands is getting, getting them to, to, you know, year one, even if they opt into only 5% of their spend, that's a lot less to these, what we call brand impressions going out to market where people don't necessarily need to buy. So that's that's definitely one thing we're looking at. And it's, yeah, we, we, we're signed up to it as part of our B Corp mission. Yeah, all right, fascinating. 
let, let's move the discussion a little bit away from that more more to you personally yeah. because you have uh, described yourself i think as a serial entrepreneur <laughs> yes so um what is what is a serial entrepreneur I think it's basically the, the, the challenge is once you've started your own business, uh, in my case, I've um, founded and sold a previous business and now gone on to found another one, which is now the current one vast. Once you've done that, um, the kind of joke uh, amongst other um, sort of uh, peers that doing the entrepreneurship element that we're doing is that we're essentially un unemployable by a normal business. You know, once you started the, the kind of and you get you get used to the kind of highs and the considerable lows that you experience as an entrepreneur. It, it's, you would rather not have it any other way going forward. So the concept of serial entrepreneurship is that, and, and you know, um, going forward, I'll be taking stakes in other businesses and and taking on um, non-exec roles on other other boards as well. Uh, it, it's um, it's something that you you just keep doing. You know, once you, you once you buy and sell a business, you know you can keep doing it and do it again. And it's almost like um, when I went brand side, which you referenced earlier in the earlier in the interview. Um, when you do when you do go and work for someone for a bit you just look at the, the guy running it sometimes and go you, sometimes you don't know what they're you know you can tell they don't necessarily know what they're talking about and especially with emerging technologies like where we where we are at the moment it's so bleeding edge you you, you want to be the person who's kind of um uh driving the strategy because you don't want to be limiting yourself in terms of what the opportunity could be for sure okay so something that i and you can put me right on this it sounds like you don't fall into this category when I think of a serial entrepreneur, I haven't heard this anywhere, by the way. This is just my my thought, um, which I'm hoping, it's thinking really is, is incorrect. You start a business, hype it up, sell it quick before anyone realises it doesn't really quite work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of lot of business sales out there that, that would, would align with that for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think, but I think the really shrewd investors can spot that when you're, um, inflating profit, you know, when you're capitalizing items in the third year for some reason, all of those kind of things. So I think, I think, um, yeah, but there's, I think, especially in the tech sector, there's a lot of examples of people buying something that perhaps they thought they were buying, but the, the actual reality is that it wasn't really worth what it is. Yeah. Dare I say, um, I think maybe Twitter might be an example of that, but we will see. <laughs> That's quite <laughs> topical just now, for sure. Yeah. Yes, definitely. All right. So, I mean, but being a, uh, well, but being an entrepreneur uh, definitely has highs and lows. You know, I, I, I can tell you some of the uh, grief. I, in fact, I was just earlier in the, in the interview talking about you know, dealing with HMRC and some of the difficulties. Yes. Being a serial entrepreneur, I'm not a serial entrepreneur. Does, does it, can it lead to serial health problems? You know, because it's not an easy life you've chosen, let's face it. No, no, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, I think I made, I definitely made a mistake like with vast because uh, it's like a, a further company that I've taken that I, that I founded I almost set myself some ground rules and I think the difference this time around um, with this business is that I'm, I'm, I'm married and I've got a young family whereas my previous entrepreneurial experiences I've just been able to work crazy hours work weekends not take holidays whereas this time with the family it's, it's actually been incredibly help you know healthy for me in terms of keeping me grounded keeping things in perspective and forcing me to take time away from the business which is actually really 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 valuable even though it is sometimes as stressful but it's a different form of stress and you you find bizarrely you can still go back and still feel refreshed but i think um i definitely made the mistake about um two and a half years ago and my body reminded me of it 
um, I was overtraining on my mountain bike. Um, I was chasing miles using an app called Strava. Strava, as you probably heard of it, it's very much like will you will give you um, almost like gamification incentive incentivizing you to go. Oh, you could do another ten miles a day, and you'll you'll okay. hit your monthly target. And yeah, and we've got similar tools in the business that track our revenue and our our margin performance and our year on year performance. And I started treating my body like the business. And I forgot that you've got to keep this thing fueled and you've got to get more sleep. And, and basically my back one day went, no, nah, you can't keep doing this. And it's, I was basically overtraining and I, I wasn't doing the right mobility um, for my body because it, it, as you probably know, with biking, especially it's, it's very much um, uh, very all about your legs. You're not really supporting your lower back correctly and all those kind of things. So what I've gone on to do since, which has been an amazing experience, is I actually train with... Um, a, 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 a chap called Ollie, who's part of Surfit Academy, and he has given me uh, not only surf coaching but also an amazing program that I'm still doing to this day. Uh, it's all work from home stuff or work from home stuff that is very much focused about building up my my, my, my mobility, crucially, um, and also strength. And I've now um, I was offered an operation on my lower back that I haven't actually had to take. I've been able to manage it through brilliant yoga through brilliant mobility through focus on my surfing and my biking and to get that balance back and uh it's been transformative to my life because i can now feel uh as a what 48 year old that i'm um i've got a, an amazing platform now to see that i'll be surfing into my 90s hopefully you know if i'll be there with a zimmer frame on my surfboard you know and it's just great because it's, it's been um i can really see i was making some really silly mistakes with my biking before just overtraining. yeah my hips were so locked they were locked and I can really tell now when I'm on the bike now, I'm like, wow, I'm so much more fluid and just again, do I say stoked, you know, it's really, really good. Okay. All right. So you, you look after now, you look after your health uh, yeah. as running the business. Does that translate into, um, and actually you alluded to this earlier, so I think it probably does. Um, uh, I don't know how many people work in the business, but presumably it's not just you. No, no not it's just over 30 now. Yeah. Over okay. 30 yeah and um, so are yours do you how do you look after your staff i guess is the question yeah so yeah i mean um it's part of the, the mission to b corp it's actually made us made us focus increasingly in ensuring that we've got the effective mental health support in there in particular uh there's um we've got a dedicated hr team that are helping us on that journey uh, i mean i i just on a one-on-one -on -one basis have encouraged people to um like my diet line reports to do more sports and we actually have a company value again that is um, as part of that relating to your stoke is to just like live our brand values in some senses and that find time to take time out. That's the most important thing. And we, we um, as you alluded to, we've got a big um, with retail focus. So we have a very much a big quarter four peak because of the Christmas peak. So we try and get people, especially this time of year, hence why I was off the other day um, to get, take time off and just get that time to, to really recharge. I think we we've identified um hr as a big part of what we do uh going forward it's, it's just really really important i saw something in the news yesterday which was about workplaces and happy happy and healthy workplaces and it, it was a, a comment about when it's someone's birthday or the or the boss's birthday or whoever's birthday it's kind of a traditional thing in, in an office for them to bring in a load of cakes to share with everyone and they, they were saying that actually this is a bad thing you know we shouldn't eat so many cakes, but that might be true. But I kind of like the idea of everyone getting together and celebrate a birthday. So what happens when it's someone's birthday at uh, at your business? 
Yeah, I mean, we do do the cake thing, actually. Think it was, I think it was, the, was it the Food Standard Agency? I think it was actually put out that advice. It was, it was someone really bizarre who had actually made this comment. I saw um, it on Twitter. I, yeah, I, I, I think I saw it as well. I, I, I think, um, you know what the classic thing is about cake? It's all about balance. Someone's you're not eating it every day. And I think maybe the way I view it is I have, I have a slice of cake when I'm in the office because I don't, I don't think I get it. I don't have a cake sauce elsewhere, to be honest. So unless I go out cycling somewhere, so I might have a, a bit of cake. So it's like everything, isn't it? I think it's um, it's a good old balance word, isn't it? I, I think it's just another, It's a yeah, I think it's a bit of showboating maybe on on the best practice. I mean, it's January for goodness sake. When, when are you going to eat cake otherwise, you know? And I'd much rather work somewhere where people do occasionally get together and talk. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, we, it is over cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. We we work quite hard on that. We've actually got a culture team, and um, and uh, I know it sounds a little bit contrived, but the, the the culture team work really closely to make sure we do at least once a month we congregate and have fun and do some cool stuff. And it and the, the most important thing as well is it's not all just based around having a like alcohol. It's beer. It's not. It's yeah, because we want to be inclusive um, for people. Yeah, who not don't everyone drink. likes so, drinking beer. No, they don't. They don't exactly. And we, you know, we've got for religious reasons as well in our business and all that kind of stuff. So we want to make sure we're fully inclusive. And so, yeah, I think the, <laughs> the next one we're doing is a bit of axe throwing. You know, just for fun. So <laughs> it's that kind of thing. We've been recently been bowling as well, and um, we did some pottery last year as well. So yeah, it's just coming up with fun stuff. Because if you can't, if you don't enjoy working with your people you're working with, I mean, it's that's no fun, is it? No, no, I, I get it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, my my business is is tiny, and it is just me. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I I will have cake on my own occasionally. <laughs> well, we 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 have these fascinating moments, right? So, I'm keep on referencing our company values, but one of our ones is um great things when we work together, right? And we we had the situation where I will catch in a cool way members of the team. We might be in a you know like take ice skating or something. We might be in a scenario in a cafe or something. They will literally be two or three people. Um, hustled around a mobile phone looking at someone's website like a brand's website and all sharing their frustrations with why the user experience or the customer experience is so compromised and that and that passion that passion of of, of being offended um it, it, it's it's incredible and i think that is what with the essence of what we're trying to achieve of creating these amazing brand experiences i just love it when the team is so passionate and in those those moments i only ever see because i'm locked away on zoom or looking at p l's a lot of the time um i love witnessing those because it reminds me of why the business exists you know it's it's real passion for yeah. sure yeah no good i mean I, I love the way you've you've spoken about your business i mean you, you you've proved to me that it, it it does something useful it does something worthwhile and you know it's good for the people that work in it um yeah great with with, with all that in mind um as a serial entrepreneur, uh, you know, what, what's the next project? What's the next thing you're up to? So, well, the, the interesting thing, right, so we, we just started this B Corp journey. So our, our next thing we're doing, right, is we think we can influence the very fabric of retail. And I know this sounds like a grandiose statement, but I think we can, with some of the stuff we're going to test and learn, we, we're actually going to approach it in the same way that, say, Volvo did when they invented the seatbelt or when they they actually invented obviously the airbag as well. That is an open source patent they've got on those two ideas. And when they invented those ideas, they realized that they could save so many, pe so many people's lives across the world by making the, the technology involved in like a seatbelt um, free to use. What my, my kind of like ambition and mission is with this business is I think we can 
trailblaze examples of where we can start to uh, address the climate emergency in in retail, which is a hideously polluting um, sector, um, to actually influence the whole of retail. So my my kind of next big thing is to just genuinely affect and, and start to demonstrate you can make change. You can start off really small and then you can start to influence some of the biggest brands in the world. And um, we've got, um, you know, we work with VF. Uh, VF are a sort of 13 billion US dollar turnover listed business. If we could demonstrate to them, look, we made this small, small change on this brand that we work with, which is Jansport, which is one of the bigger ones. Imagine if they adopted that change with one of their brands like North Face, for example. That would be phenomenal. They would have a, 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 a kind of snowboard of flex. So I would love us to be almost as influential as, say, Patagonia could have, have been in terms of changing supply chains, changing consumer habits and being really open about it. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of big idea. And it sounds pretty full on, but it'd be great fun if we could do it. I think that sounds like a, a absolutely wonderful plan. Uh, yeah. Because you've got to have a plan in life, haven't you? Other, you know, you otherwise do. you sort of drift yeah. about. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's fascinating. I'm not, we might have to get together in, well, this isn't going to happen next week, is it? We, we might no. have to book a time a year or two ahead to uh, for a bit of feedback on how that's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think timeline-wise, get us in a year's time because I think we'll be in, really in, in a really interesting place because um, you quickly, you can't beat the kind of idea of talking about this in a fairly utopian way. And then you have the hard commercial reality of when you're turning around to a brand and saying, we actually think it might affect your year and year growth by 10% if you adopt these policies. But wow, look at what you're doing to the environment. Look at the kind of consumers you're engaging because these consumers are going to engage in your brand because they believe in your mission as opposed to you guys being cheap or whatever, you know, things that don't build equity. So it's quite a compelling selling point, we think. Yeah, all right. But yeah, let's let's meet up again in a, in a year's time, and I'll I'll give you I'll let you know how it's gone. All right, I'll <laughs> I'll do that. But in the meantime, if if people have been listening, either individuals or dare I say, uh, companies from the states that are thinking, hmm, I like what this guy's saying, and I'd like to think about maybe doing some business in Europe. Um, how can people find out about um or more about you and and the business? Yeah. Yeah, it's sure. So um, the best place to go to find out more about us is our, is our web address, which is um, vast, spelled double V-A-S-T dot net. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Just search Richie Jones Vast and I'll come up. A good place that our own website is probably the best place, though, because we've got some great vlogs on there about our mission. And um, our most recent one, there's a B Corp page on there as well. And I'm talking um, on that B Corp page about a recent trip I made to Pakistan last year where I witnessed the kind of glacial retreat with my own eyes in the Himalayas. And it's one of the reasons why I've got such passion about driving this focus, because I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, and I think, um, yeah, have a look, see what you think. But okay. get in touch right. if you're interested. I'm sure yeah. I'm sure people will. So look, Richie, thank you very much indeed for taking a few minutes to chat. It's much appreciated. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thank you very much to Richie Jones for being such a great guest. And thank you to you for listening and have a healthy week. Until next week. That was the Relaxed Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.